Amen. Today we're looking at this passage of Scripture in Acts chapter 10. Uh, it's familiar for many of us as we see the, the story unfold in the life of Peter and the vision that he had on the rooftop. And, and I'm titling it today, Spirit-Led Transformation. And I really believe that Peter was transformed just as well as Cornelius in his household. And as I was thinking of the idea of transformation, as so often happens, I think of superheroes, right? I'm a superhero kind of person, and there's a scene from the Marvel Cinematic Universe that automatically popped into my brain, and I want you to see it, all right? I want you to see this scene of how someone is completely transformed as we launch into this idea of spirit-led transformation. Somebody get that kid a sandwich. Comfortable? <laughs> it's a little big. <laughs> Mr. Stark, how are your levels? Levels at 100%. Good. We may dim half the lights in Brooklyn. But we are ready, as we'll ever be. Agent Carter? Do you hear me? Is this on? Ladies and gentlemen, today we take not another step towards annihilation, but the first step on the path to peace. We begin with a series of micro-injections into the subject's major muscle groups. The serum infusion will cause immediate cellular change. And then, to stimulate growth, the subject will be saturated with vital rays. That wasn't so bad. That was penicillin. Serum infusion, beginning in five, Four, three, two, one. Now, Mr. Stark. Signs are normal. That's 50 percent. 60. 70. Kills the reactor, Mr. Stark. Hand it off. Kill it. Kills the reactor. No! Don't! I can do this!
Mr. Stark? What a transformation from a tiny little pipsqueak who needed a sandwich to a giant, awesome superhero who then would save America, right? What a wonderful transformation. We see that. Now, why do I use that illustration? And it took some time. I wanted you to see the full transformation because there was serum that was injected into him. And I'm going to say that that is the Holy Spirit for us, all right? Right? So we can be transformed in our lives, and I fully believe that we will see Peter transformed as well as the uh, house of Cornelius transformed. But too often we're content. We don't want to be transformed. We don't want to grow the way in which we can. Right? When, when they could have shut it down, he continued. Steve Rogers said, no, let's continue this process. I need to be transformed. I need to be changed. One of the things that I want to suggest to us as believers is that we cannot remain the same place all of the time in our faith. We must grow. We cannot remain content with our relationship with God. We must seek more. I really believe that contentment leads to complacency, which leads to carelessness, which leads to catastrophe. When you and I are content, we can become complacent in our relationship, which means then we stop reading the scriptures, we stop praying as regularly as we should, and then when we step away from our relationship with God and walk in complacency, we're going to begin to become care- be careless with our, our thoughts and our attitudes and our actions. And when that happens, that leads to catastrophe. But you and I have the opportunity to be transformed continuously, over and over and over again as we are growing in our relationship with God. The scripture calls it sanctified through and through. But contentment is the great enemy to many believers. We grow too content, but there's more. Some of us even grow apathetic. I don't care if I grow. I know Jesus as my Savior. That's enough. He's my fire insurance. I'll get into heaven by the skin of my teeth, but there's more. We cannot be content. With the Holy Spirit, we can see a miraculous transformation in our lives. Steve Rogers was not content. He wanted to be a superhero. He wanted to go and help America win the battles that were before them. And he was transformed. He was infused with a serum that Jesus has given us, the serum of the Holy Spirit. I know it's kind of tacky and cheesy, but go with me. That's, that's one of the main things that we're going to be looking at is the importance of the Holy Spirit leading our transformation. So the question we must ask then is, what does spirit-led transformation look like, and how do we walk in it? What does spirit-led transformation look like, and how do we walk in it? We're going to pick up in Acts chapter 10, verse 19. But before this, you need to recognize that, that Peter had a vision on a rooftop that God gave him three times. It was the same thing where he was saying, get up, kill, and eat. And these were unclean animals considered in Jewish law. And so he said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not supposed to do that. But God brought this vision to him three times. And so that's where we pick up in Acts chapter 10, verse 19. And we'll be reading through 29, and then we'll jump to uh, verses 34 through 48. Again, I have a cold, so I apologize in advance. Acts chapter 10, verse 19, the word of the Lord. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. 
Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guest. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. Cornelius then begins to tell him what the angel had said. On to verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach the people and to testify <clears throat> For he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Wow, that's a powerful testament to transformation. We see a transformation in Peter's life as well as the household of Cornelius. So what, what do we need in our lives for spirit-led transformation? What does it look like? How do we walk in it? I think the first item that we see in spirit-led transformation is direction. Spirit-led transformation always starts with spirit-led direction and explanation. In verse 19, we see that Peter was pondering this vision. This vision had happened, and it happened three times. I'm so thankful for Peter. 
because Peter is very willing to admit his own faults, right? We see throughout Scripture, Peter is the one who denies Christ, and he didn't hide that from being known. In fact, in the book of Luke here, he's being interviewed by Luke and sharing what's going on. And here he's saying, God had to show me this vision three times, and I was still pondering what it meant. I was still wondering. And that idea of pondering in the Greek is processing information by thinking about it carefully. He still didn't understand it. Even after three times, he still was wondering, what does this mean? Why in the world have I had this vision? Ogilvy, a commentator, says this, Here the Greek word is a double compound, meaning that he revolved the truth in, truths in his mind repeatedly, through and through, in and out, in an effort to understand the meaning of the strange revelation. As he wondered and thought, his main concern was what he should do about what he had experienced. What am I supposed to do with that? Have you ever seen something in the Bible and it challenged you? And you're like, wow, that's really powerful, but what am I supposed to do with that? Here in that moment, Peter was wondering, pondering, questioning over and over in his mind, what does this mean? What am I supposed to do? And he quickly realized that in and of his own intellect, he couldn't figure it out. Because we can't figure out God's mind or will without the Holy Spirit's direction. Here he sees this vision, and he's wondering through, what does it mean? Where am I supposed to go? How am I supposed to act with this new revelation from heaven that was clearly supposed to make me understand something because God showed it to me three times? But then the Holy Spirit is the one who guides and directs him. Because try as Peter might, he could not figure it out. Now, when the Holy Spirit gives him that direction and says, go, there are men that are coming, he still doesn't really have a full answer to what that all meant. He has no idea why this happened, except the Spirit is now giving him direction. And he goes. We see that Peter went, which brings us to the second item that we see in Spirit-led transformation, and that is obedience. Spirit-led transformation requires surrendered obedience. We're going to see this in, in the scriptures over and over again, particularly when it comes to the Holy Spirit in the church, in the early church. We see how the church is following the directives and listening to the explanation of what they're to do and where they're to go. There is always obedience that transpires. The apostles and the, the Hellenistic Jews and then the Gentiles and Paul will see that they walk in obedience and God does incredible wonderful, miraculous things. Spirit-led transformation requires surrendered obedience. If we are given a direction and we're given an explanation of where we are to go and how we are to be changed and, and how we are to dig deeper into who God is and we don't walk in obedience, we will not experience the transformation that God has for us. Just think about that moment with Steve Rogers. Right? Had he said, okay, shut it down, stop it, it hurts too bad, he would not have been transformed into Captain America. You and I, God desires a great transformation, a continual process of growth where you and I are getting closer to the Lord and we're being more and more like Christ. This world needs men and women who are more like Christ. Would you agree? And so you and I, we need to allow the Spirit of God to direct us and explain where we're going, and then we need to follow. 
We need to walk in obedience. But just as Peter experienced, not the full explanation comes. Are you a planner? Are you one of those people that says, okay, when God tells me to do something, I want the whole thing right now, right? Anybody like that where you're a big planner, you want to know like what's happening in the next six, seven, eight, ten months, maybe five years, and you have it all on your calendar and you figured it all out? God doesn't work that way, does he? Sometimes he's frustrating where he's like, hey, I want you to go talk to these three men. And you're like, why? What's going to happen after that? What questions are they going to ask me? I need to be prepared. I need to be ready. I need to have my journal and all my notes so I can pop it out and have that conversation. But no, Peter doesn't ask for anything more. When the Holy Spirit says go, he goes. The Holy Spirit gave Peter an action to follow, and Peter followed. Ogilvy gives us a, another good explanation of this. He said, action is an essential stage of learning. We know what we've acted. The times between study periods and the word will be filled with the Lord's perfectly timed, prearranged opportunities to act on what we've learned. Are we acting on what we've learned? So much of this idea of contentment with our faith comes down to when we read the Bible, we walk away and we say, oh, that was really great. Thank you, God, for teaching me something new. But it doesn't change the way in which we live at all. You see, we're to invite the Holy Spirit into those moments and say, I need to be changed. When I read the Word of God, it is life-changing. It's not just something that I can fill my brain with. It's supposed to change how I live. The Spirit of God who wrote the Word needs to explain it to me and then needs to fill me with the power to fulfill what the Word of God is calling me to do. But too often we're content with just reading it. And we say, oh, that's enough. I, I can check that off of my list. I read my Bible today. But is it changing and transforming you? Many of the things that happen when it comes to the Holy Spirit and the Pentecostal movement is that we see all kinds of people hit and slain in the Holy Spirit, but on Monday they don't act any different. So the question is, did you really experience and encounter the Holy Spirit of God or not? Was it just emotional manipulation? And if there's no life change, if there's no transformation, then they have not really encountered the true power of the Holy Spirit. I could say the same about how we read the Word of God. Are we really encountering God? Are we really trying to understand and ask the Spirit of God to inform our lives, not just our brains? Because if we read the Bible and we walk away time and time again untransformed, unchanged, have we really had the encounter with God that God desires for us to have? And the answer is no. Too many Christians are content with just reading it. And not asking the Spirit of God to transform and change them. It says that we're to love our neighbors. And then we go and we abuse our neighbors. And we ignore our neighbors. And we don't care about our neighbors. It says that we are <coughs> to love one another. And we don't love one another. We push one another aside. We malign and belittle one another. Man, if we're really reading the Word of God, it should change and inform how we live. If it doesn't, we're not having the encounter with the living God that we are called to have. The Bible is transformative. We all would say that it is living and breathing, and it is alive and well. And if it's alive and well, but when we read it, we're dead, we're missing the point. God desires for us to be changed and transformed. <laughs> Another commentator says, nothing was left to chance 
All was coordinated by the divine leading. The Spirit directed Peter to the three messengers standing at the gate and identified them as men he had sent. He said, okay, now go downstairs, check it out. These guys are going to be there. And those guys were there. And he asked them, what is, why, why are you here? And they said, well, Cornelius wants you to come to his house. It was too late, so they spent the night at Peter's house, wherever Peter was staying. And they got up and they went the next day. This was another what I called a couple, like last week maybe, <coughs> excuse me, a chirotic moment where there's chronos, which is time that we look at chronologically, second by second, hour by hour, and we see that happen in the scriptures where things happen in a timely manner. Some of you really like to be on time. Some of you fail to be on time, right? Your chronos is either good or bad. <laughs> Anyways, we don't have to go there. The, the other one is kairos, which is God's timing, the seasons, and how God puts it all together and purposely makes moments pregnant with his presence that can be transformative in the lives of other people. And here, the Holy Spirit sends Peter downstairs. I don't even know if the guys had knocked yet, right? I don't even know if they come to the door, but he's going downstairs expecting these three guys to be there, and there they are, and he recognizes God has set this up, and so I'm going to go. I'm going to follow in obedience. Peter even gives commentary to those men. And when he goes into Cornelius' house in verses 28 through 29, Peter makes this interesting statement. He says, I came without objection. I did not object. When I knew that God had set this time up, I did not object. We saw this in the life of Philip, right, as he was walking down the street, and there was that man who in the chariot, he then was able to share the faith and the good news of Jesus. It was a chirotic moment, a moment that God had prearranged. And here, Peter saw it for what it was and did not object. When chirotic moments come our way, we need to obey without objection. We see the direction that the Holy Spirit gives and Spirit-led transformation begins with that, that direction and that explanation. But then it's our job to walk in obedience, to see those chirotic moments for what they are and to obey without objection. Peter didn't say, well, who are these three men? Why am I doing this? He didn't get all grumpy and say, no, I, I'm not going with you. You guys are, are unclean. You're not good people. I'm not supposed to go to Cornelius' house. You know that. I'm a good Jew. I'm supposed to follow all the laws. No, he didn't object at all. He says, I went. I came without objection. And I say when chirotic moments come because they will come. For all believers who claim Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior and know that he saved them and that he rose again from the dead and that you are indwelled with the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation, you better believe that you're going to have chirotic moments because God desires to use you to advance the kingdom of God. You have a mission. You have a call. It's not just me. It's not just our elders. It's not just staff or volunteers. Every single believer has a call in their lives. And there will be chirotic moments that God sets aside for you. Go without objection. Obey what God is saying to do. You'll see the transformation in your lives. Just like Steve Rogers went through obedience and continued, even when it was hard, he was transformed. The same is true for you and for me, and we see this in the life of Peter as well. The third item we see in spirit-led transformation is process. 
Because spirit-led transformation is a continual process in the life of the believer. Spirit-led transformation is a continual process in the life of a believer. Again, I'm really thankful that Peter was completely honest with Luke and all the other writers of the Gospels to allow the truth of what happened in his life to really transpire. He could have said, no, please don't talk about the rooster crowing. That was really embarrassing. He could have told John, please don't tell anybody that you beat me to the tomb. That's not fair. Look at John. He, he brags about it. Not really, but... We see consistently in Peter's life his highs and his lows. And again, this was an interview that he was having with Luke, sharing this experience with Luke. Because Luke, as he wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, had many times of interviews where he's saying, okay, I wasn't there. What happened? I wasn't there. How did it work about? I wasn't there. Tell me the whole story. And so he wrote it out. Line by line, interview after interview, and Peter allowed this to be in it. Peter had not yet arrived. He was not at this place where, you know, we laud the apostles as superhumans. But here in this passage, when he's bowing down, when Cornelius bows down to him, he says, stand up, I'm just a man too. Peter's, I think, message to many believers is, I'm just a man too, who's dedicated to following the Holy Spirit, and he's the one who brings the transformation. He's the one who brings the power and the miraculous and all the different things. I'm just a vessel. That's why when I look at this, and many commentators call it the, the acts of the apostles, I kind of cringe, and I think the apostles would cringe too, because they're like, no, it's not our actions, it's the acts of the Holy Spirit. He's the one who infused us with the capability, the serum to be the Captain America that you see from the apostles. It's a process. <coughs> Peter had experienced Jesus in his life. Peter had experienced the John 21 moment where he was healed from his past pains of the three denials. Now he got to say to Jesus, I love you three times. He was there when the Holy Spirit came. He was there when, when Acts 1-8 was proclaimed, knowing that the power was to be infused for them to go and make disciples of all nations. He knew he was there, but yet he was still surprised by some of what was going on. I love what he says in verse 34. If you look at verse 34 with me, Acts 10, verse 34, it says, So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. You would figure at this point in his faith, he would have already understood that. You would figure that after the three times that God was showing him that I show no partiality on the rooftop, just moments before he was going over to Cornelius' house, you would figure that he would have got it. He would have understood it. That Jesus told him in Acts 1-8 that you're to go to make disciples. You're to go out into Samaria, Jerusalem, to your neighbors, to the ends of the earth. You would figure he would understand that the gospel is for all people. But here he says, I finally understand. Truly, I understand. And if you look at the Greek, the Greek word for that, excuse me, <coughs> it means to catch up. He caught up to God's vision. Finally. Acts 10. He was there for all of it. Finally, he caught up to God's vision. And he admits it. He says, I finally caught up. Man, I was not getting it, but now I get it. I understand what God is doing. The gospel isn't just for Hebraic Jews. It's not just for the Hebrew. It's not just for, <coughs> excuse me, the Hellenistic Jews. The gospel is for all people. All people. He was on a journey. 
He was walking through his own transformation, growing as a man of God who was obeying the Holy Spirit, getting the direction and explanation and going after those chirotic moments. He was consistently growing. I once heard a pastor say, if our faith isn't growing, it's shrinking. There is no such thing as stagnant faith. There's no such thing as stagnant faith. What does that mean? Well, you talk to many believers and you say, oh, I'm just, I'm kind of at a plateau with God right now. I'm just, things are just like, like right now, just, it's a plateau. The answer is there really is no plateau. It's either up or down. This is one of those times where there's no middle. Because if you're not growing, you're shrinking in your faith. And you're going to begin to see those moments of carelessness where you're going to have catastrophe with sin. My friends, if we're not close to the heart of God, and we're not listening to his heartbeat, and we're not reading his word, and we're not asking the Holy Spirit to speak to us, and we're not praying before the Lord for the sake of intimacy, getting to know him and hearing his voice, we're going to begin to listen to all the other voices around us. We're going to begin to take other people's opinions for what the Bible says is not true. One of the most dangerous things that happens in Christianity is when we listen to voices of people's opinions rather than the truth of the gospel. I hear many people who are going to YouTube and listening to all these different preachers and listening to what they're saying, and they all of a sudden start spouting out all this different false theology. Why? Because they're not reading their Bible. Read the Bible. Paul said to Timothy, preach the word. He didn't say preach your opinion. He said, preach the word. And he said, all kinds of people are going to come. They're going to blather on about stupid, silly things. They're going to take the attention of the church away. But you preach the word. That was his call. We need to be in the word. We need to consistently seek to grow through the scriptures by the power of the Holy Spirit, igniting our hearts with it, testing it with one another and saying, man, I really feel like this is what God is saying in the word. Because the Holy Spirit will never tell you anything that goes against the Bible. Ever. And that's why we need to be biblically literate Christians. One of the biggest problems in Christianity in America today is biblical illiteracy. Where a pastor can get up and say, here's this passage, here's my opinion. And everyone's like, yes, that was great. But they didn't check it against Scripture. Paul, when he preached, the Bereans, they checked his, they fact-checked his preaching. And instead of getting mad, like, why are you doing that? Of course, I'm Apostle Paul. I, I, I was with Jesus. No, he said that. Good job. Excellent. Because you're checking it out. You're making sure that I'm not teaching false things. You're checking it. We've got to do that. We cannot allow the news and their opinions to inform how we read scripture. We cannot allow these weird, whacked out YouTube pastors who don't really have churches. They just have YouTube channels. We can't listen to their opinions. We need to go to the word of God, dig into what God is saying, and live accordingly. The Bible is our guide, not man. Okay, sorry, that was a little bit of an aside. But if our faith isn't growing, it's shrinking. There is no such thing as stagnant faith. The fourth item that we see in spirit-led transformation is dependence. Spirit-led transformation displays a deep dependence on the Holy Spirit. This is important for us to capture. 
And I've said this a lot when it comes to the idea of walking by the Spirit, living in the fruits of the Spirit, living in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It only happens by leaning into dependence upon Him, saying, it's, it's God, it's not me. I need to lean into Him completely and allow Him to lead and guide and direct. It's not about me. And here, as Peter is talking about Jesus, he says that Jesus himself was spirit-led and spirit-dependent. We see in Philippians 2, 5 through 11, that Jesus stepped down into earth. He became human, but was fully God and fully man. The core of our theology of who Jesus is and why his death means anything is because he was fully God. But also why his life means something is because he was fully man and showed you and I how to walk by the Spirit of God. Look at what Peter says in verse 37. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. He's saying Jesus was our example of how to be led by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was fully God and fully man, but he stepped down and humbled himself to walk on this earth as a man to show us what it's like to be dependent upon God. That's why he went to the mountains to be with his Father. That's why he got away to those secret places. And we see this throughout Scripture over and over again. Luke, who is writing this book in Acts, he also said in Luke 4, 16 through 18 that Jesus declares the Holy Spirit is upon me. Williams makes it very clear about what the Greek is saying. And I'm, I'm, I'm sharing this because there's a lot of doubt when it comes to Jesus being fully God, fully man. There's also this doubt that says that Jesus was not dependent upon the Holy Spirit but did it all in his deity. Well, if he did it all in his deity and said, you're going to do the things that I've done, that would be impossible for us. So he was dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Williams says it this way. His good works are attributed to the Holy Spirit and power with which God had anointed him. Some interpret this of the, as the incarnation, but because it follows the reference to John the Baptist, it is better to understand it of Jesus' baptism. Jesus himself affirmed that he had been anointed with the Spirit without pinpointing when it happened in Luke 4.18. But that he had been anointed was proof that God was with him. Williams is a conservative guy, but there's an even more conservative, reformed theologian named Daryl Bach who says this, God's anointing with the Spirit gave Jesus power to do good and to heal those oppressed by the devil. And he gives these passages in Scripture, Isaiah 61, 1 through 2, Luke 4, 16 through 18, looking back to Luke 3, 21 through 22, looking forward to Luke 7, 22 through 23. And the link is the Isaiah 35 passage. Why do I spend so much time on that? I think it's important that as we look at Jesus and his example for you and for me, that he led as a Holy Spirit-dependent person who was fully God, but also fully man. And Peter is trying to share, this is the importance of the Holy Spirit in my life. This is why as you came down and bowed to me, I can simply say, I am just a man. Because I am just a man who needs the Spirit of God to direct me. He was living it in his own life and declaring that Jesus had it in his own life as well. The only way we can be truly transformed to the image of Christ, the only way we can be ignited for mission, and the only way we can grow in our sanctification is through the filling, indwelling, empowering Holy Spirit. 
Peter's making that very clear to the Gentiles in this passage. He's showing the importance of the Holy Spirit. He's saying, listen, you need the Spirit of God. Jesus saves. And he brought about the ability for you to be saved. But you also need the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself said that. The fifth item that we see in Spirit-led transformation is Jesus. Is Jesus. Because Spirit-led transformation is only possible because of Jesus. You see, and Peter takes pains to make sure that Cornelius and the Gentiles understand the importance of Jesus, how Jesus is the epicenter of it all, how he is the cornerstone that keeps it all together, that Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension are vital for us to understand salvation, to accept Christ as our Lord and Savior. Many people would call this Pentecost part three, or we talked two weeks ago about spirit-led evangelism. You could call this spirit-led evangelism part two because as, as Peter was led by the Spirit, he proclaimed the truth of the gospel. He proclaimed Jesus from the beginning to the end. He shared who Jesus is and inspired the hearts of the people to hear the truth of the gospel and the Spirit of God gripped their hearts and they became saved. They found the truth of the gospel and it all surrounded around Jesus. This is the good Sunday school answer. I, I have this really funny story of this kid who was in Sunday school, and this, this Sunday school teacher was explaining what a squirrel was, and it just saying, here's what, a, here's what this animal has, you know, brown fur, a bushy tail. And the kid raised his hand and said, I, I think you're talking about a squirrel, but I'm in Sunday school, so I'm going to say Jesus. <laughs> right? This is where this fits. Jesus is the epicenter. Spirit-led transformation is only possible because of Jesus. When we try to do it on our own, or when we think that we can handle it on our own, we need to go back and see, no, Jesus is the epicenter. He ascended so that the Spirit of God could descend and dwell us and fill us. But without Jesus, this couldn't be possible. When Jesus died, the, the, <coughs> excuse me, the veil was torn, and we now have access to the presence of God only because of Jesus. And the beautiful thing about Peter catching up to the truth of the gospel, when he finally had this sense, I truly understand now. My eyes are open. I finally caught up to God's vision. He realized that the gospel, this truth of Jesus, is for all people. It's like the Alliance says this. It's a beautiful statement. The gospel is all of Jesus for all of the world. All of Jesus for all of the world. In Peter's mindset, when, the, when Pentecost originally happened, even though he had experienced Acts 1-8 and what Jesus had said, in Peter's mindset, this was only for the Jews. And then he thought oh, it's only for the Hebraic Jews because then he was shocked when the Holy Spirit came upon those <coughs> sorry, Hellenistic Jews. And so then he thought, okay, it's just for Jews in general. But here... God reopened his eyes and said, no, all people, this is why you need to go to the ends of the earth, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all across the globe. Because the gospel is all of Jesus for all of the world. You and I are on mission as believers to live the gospel life, 
to proclaim the gospel life with our words and with our lives. We can only do that when we are dependent upon the Holy Spirit. It's only possible because of what Jesus has done in our lives. Like Peter, we can be transformed. We can grow in our faith and understanding of the Lord. And like the Gentile believers, we can allow the Spirit of the Lord to bring about this transformation. They were ignited with the Holy Spirit. And Paul would go throughout his journey, missionary journey, first trying to speak in the synagogues to the Jews, but when they kicked him out, he went and proclaimed to the Gentiles the truth of the gospel. And the Gentiles responded. And Peter, I think there was probably even some misunderstanding a little bit because Peter was acquiescing to the Jews that said that the Gentiles who come to faith need to be circumcised. And we see in the book of Acts, we see that he was confronted. Paul confronted him on that issue. And Peter then repented and moved back. And we see that they did not need to be circumcised. All of Jesus was going through all the world for Jesus and Jesus only. That is the message that we bring. The Holy Spirit desires to transform your life, to bring transformation in my life. May we follow his direction. May we walk in obedience. And may we live in dependence. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for keeping my voice during this time. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will bring about the transformation that we need. That we'll look to you, Jesus, as the author and perfecter of our faith, knowing that your death and resurrection and ascension has made it possible for us to be in your presence and to live the gospel life. I pray that we will be men and women who seek to read your word, to know who you are through the revealed word of God. And may we walk changed and transformed. May we not be content. May we continue to press on for more and more growth in your holy name. Amen.